0: Players' Championship March Madness, Drew Brees retires in NFL free agency. LaValley Sports Talk begins right now. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the LaValley Sports Talk Podcast brought to you by the Soundline Network. As always, I am your host, Chris LaValley. Hope you all are doing well and staying safe. So this week, we're going to kick off the pod, and we're going to do two quick segments. One's going to be on uh, last weekend's Players' Championship, and then uh, March Madness. I'm going to give you my final four picks, a couple upsets that I think are going to happen. So let's kick it off, Players' Championship. I was wrong. I picked Jordan Spieth. Again, I was wrong about golf, I know. It seems to be like a tagline that should be under this podcast is, Valley cannot pick golf championships or majors. Jordan Spieth ended, uh, he finished tied for 48th at one under, uh, so kind of kind of far reaching from winning the championship. Justin Thomas won the players championship with one hell of a comeback. He ended the tournament at 14 under. He shot a 64 and a 68 over the weekend to complete his comeback. He was outside the cut line through the first 27 holes and made four straight birdies over I'm um, excuse me, four birdies over his final nine holes, not four straight. Four over his last nine holes on Friday to get himself into the weekend. And he outlasted Lee Westwood, who was leading heading into Sunday, and whom Thomas started three shots back. So Justin Thomas, the dude's a machine. I don't know why I don't pick him more often. I don't. I don't know. I, I don't know why I have such a blind spot when it comes to Justin Thomas. He's really infectious too. Like when you watch him and he gets on a roll, it, it's just you can see, you can feel it and you can sense it watching it on TV. Like he's it's almost like when people talk about how there are certain players, especially when they talk about NFL, um, when they head into the NFL draft and like, oh, you know, this wide receiver or this defensive back or whomever, like they jump out at the screen at you like they're so good. You can just tell they're so good. Justin Thomas has like that same type of intensity. Like when he's on a roll in a tournament or in a major, you can feel it off your television screen. Like you just he's got that look in his eye that you, he's just going to steamroll you all the way to to the end. And uh, he did that. He absolutely dominated on Sunday. And it sucks, too. I mean, look, uh, congratulations to Justin Thomas. I'm not taking anything away from him. I was just bummed out that Lee Westwood wasn't able to uh, to pull this one out. Uh, Westwood's never won a major. He's uh, he's one of the most likable guys on the PGA Tour. But he's never really had a big win. He's won a few tournaments here and there, but he's never had like that big win. in the Players' Championship winning that would have been the the biggest win of his career and unfortunately he came uh he came up just short finished in second he also shot terribly on Sunday though I mean it was it was his tournament to lose and unfortunately he lost it uh he ended in second at 13 under um and uh yeah it was just it was a great uh, I was right about saying that the player championship was going to be great it was a great tournament Bryson DeChambeau was also uh finished at in third place he was tied with Brian Harmon at 12 under And overall, it was a close Sunday. And that's all you can ask for. All you can ask for on Sunday golf is for it to be a close tournament and exciting. And that's what we got. So good on Justin Thomas. Congratulations to him. He's definitely looking like a top pick to possibly win this year's Masters in a couple weeks. March Madness. Here we go. So I got to be honest. This is probably my favorite time of the year as far as sports goes. You've got the Players' Championship. You roll right into March Madness, and then you roll right into the Masters, and then after the Masters, we get you've got a mixture of NBA playoffs with the NFL draft and baseball starting. It's just this to me is is the best time of the year, mainly because it's spring and you're you know we, you live in the Northeast like I do. This is the time it starts getting warmer outside. You can kind of come out of your cocoon that you've been in for forever it seems like. So yeah, I mean I, I love this time of year. I love March Madness. With that being said. Just like golf, I suck at picking March Madness. I, I just I always have been. My brackets have always been terrible. I've never been good at it. There's there's very few certainties in life. Taxes, death, and me having a terrible bracket and or picking a winner in a major or a major championship. So that's just those are those are some certainties in life that you can always count on. Again, it's taxes, it's death, and it's me being terrible at either picking a bracket for March Madness or picking a uh, a major winner for golf. So, look, we all have our strengths and weaknesses. This is one of mine. So when you're listening to this and you have a similar Final Four than I do, good luck to you. You're probably screwed. With that being said. As we enter into this March Madness, we have no Duke as of right now. Anyway, I'm recording this on Wednesday, so there is a potential that Duke could possibly make it into the tournament. I still don't think that's going to happen, but anyway, as it stands right now, there's no Duke, there's no Kentucky, and there's no Louisville. Now, this would be the first time, if this goes through, that Duke has missed the tournament since 1995, which is crazy. It's crazy to think about. And look, I'm not really a Duke fan. I'm also not a Duke hater. I just don't really care, but... Duke is like the Lakers or the Yankees. You either love to root for them or you love to root against them. And they're a huge draw for national television audiences. So this sucks for CBS for not having Duke in the tournament. But with that being said, let's take a look here. So we've got our our number one seeds are Gonzaga, Michigan, Baylor, and Illinois. My early upset picks, I have UC Santa Barbara beating Creighton. I also have Winthrop beating Villanova both in the first round. So those are my early upset picks. My other upset picks include the 8th seed LSU making it to the Elite 8. The 14th seed Colgate also making it to the to the Elite 8. Um, however, neither one of those teams are going to make it into my final 4. So my final 4 includes three number 1 seeds and a number 2 seed. I've got Gonzaga who I think is going to win the whole thing, Alabama, Baylor, and Illinois. So Obviously, I don't have Michigan. I actually have LSU upsetting Michigan really early on in the second round, mainly because Michigan is losing as of right now. Has lost Isaiah Livers due to uh, stress reaction or stress fracture, um, and that gives me a lot of pause thinking that they can even make it into the Final Four. You know, in my opinion, Michigan—that's Michigan's best player and even if he's able to play at some point in the tournament him not being 100% doesn't give me any confidence in picking Michigan to make it much past the second round. LSU has is sneaky good. They've got a really really good offensive they have good offensive firepower and with Livers not being able to play or even play even if he is able to play if he's not at 100% I have a really hard time believing that Michigan's going to be able to keep up with the scoring with LSU. So that's why I have I have Michigan going late um, going out early. Again, if for whatever reason Isaiah is able to come back and he's able to play at full strength, look, Michigan could make it to the Final Four. They're talented enough. Obviously, they're a number one seed. But again, I'm I'm just looking at I'm looking at the injury. I think they have a really tough they, they have a tough bracket to go through. I mean, I think out of all of them, Michigan may have the the hardest bracket to uh, to make it to the Final Four. So anyway, so again, my Final Four, I've got Gonzaga, Bama, Baylor, and Illinois. I've got Gonzaga winning the whole thing. Like I said, if you have a similar Final Four to me, good luck to you. You're probably screwed. But we will be here next week to break down what we've seen so far, and we'll break down the tournament in the weeks to come and uh, until they crown a national champion. After 20 years in the NFL, 15 in New Orleans, Drew Brees has finally decided to call it quits. And good for him for being smart enough to see the writing on the wall. So I've got... This broken up into two parts. I've got Drew Brees, the football player, and then Drew Brees, the humanitarian. And I think both are really important to talk about. So we're going to kick it off with, obviously, Drew Brees, the football player. We'll talk about his accomplishments, talk about what he's done in his career. So Drew Brees, for my money, is the greatest free agent signing of all time. When Drew Brees hit free agency, he, there were multiple teams that were looking at him. The Miami Dolphins and the New Orleans Saints were the two that, that were both eyeing him heavily. And Miami was the team that Drew wanted to go to. And instead of going with Drew Brees, the great organization of the Miami Dolphins decided to take a washed up Dante Culpepper instead of going after Drew Brees. Now, just for those who don't know this or are unaware or have forgotten, Nick Saban was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins at the time. That's right. The great Nick Saban, who was the greatest college football coach of all time, was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins and decided to go with Dante Culpepper over Drew Brees. So for any of you out there who ever feel bad about the Miami Dolphins organization and how, oh, you know, like, I really hope I want to see Miami be good again, they kind of deserve what they get. You had the opportunity to have Drew Brees for the last 15 years, and instead you went with a washed-up Dante Culpepper, and then you just have pretty much flailed at the quarterback position ever since. Now, that's not a shot at Tua. I'm just saying. just putting it out there. So for anyone who feels guilty or feels like, oh, man, Miami, oh, poor them. No, screw that, man. Miami deserves what they got. Anyway, going back to – uh. Going back to Drew Brees here, that's that's what this segment's about. He was drafted in the second round because he was considered too short to play the quarterback position. Drew Brees measured in at around 5'11", 6 feet, and uh, he proved everybody wrong. Now, I think this is an important note because Drew Brees revolutionized the quarterback position in this way. Drew Brees was so damn successful as a shorter, quote-unquote, shorter quarterback that he made more teams a lot more comfortable or he made teams feel a lot more comfortable about drafting someone who was in 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", 6'6". So you see people like a Russell Wilson, a Lamar Jackson, a Michael Vick. Now, again, I know Lamar Jackson and Michael Vick have different types of skill sets, and I get that. But look at their height. Look at their build. They're smaller dudes. We wouldn't be seeing these type of quarterbacks, or a Kyler Murray even. We wouldn't see smaller quarterbacks necessarily be considered, or Baker Mayfield. I totally forgot about Baker Mayfield. Smaller guys who teams are picking in the first round now. And not just picking in the first round. And Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, they're they're picking them number one overall. We may not have ever seen that if it wasn't for Drew Brees. So I think that that's an important note, an important footnote in his legacy. So, again, 20 years in the NFL, 15 in New Orleans. He was a 2009 Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl MVP. He's a two-time offensive player of the year, seven-time NFL passing yards leader, four-time passing touchdown leader, two-time passing rating leader, six-time completion percentage leader, five 5,000 passing yard seasons, highest single-season completion percentage was 74.4, most consecutive games with a touchdown pass, and he finished with 7,142 completions, which is most all-time, 80,358 passing yards, which, again, is most all-time, 570 y- 571 touchdowns, which is second to Tom Brady, 243 interceptions, and a 98.7 passer rating, which is fifth all-time. Drew Brees is by far a top-ten quarterback. Now, where you want to put him in your top-ten, that's your own business. I'm not, I'm not telling you where I'm putting him. I'm just telling you he's a top-ten quarterback all-time, hands down, no questions asked. Not just because of his statistics, because for my money, he belongs in the top-ten conversation more so than Brett Favre, and here's why. Because again, like I said, Drew Brees changed the perspective of shorter quarterbacks. And again, I say shorter, the dude's six foot. But still, again, when you had quarterbacks that were looking, or you had evaluators that were looking for people to be at the least 6'2", if not 6'3", or taller, the fact that you had a much shorter dude being able to be as successful as Drew Brees was and has been throughout his career, he completely changed the way that scouts look at, at quarterbacks and, and at height. So that alone puts, should keep Drew Brees in the top ten forever. Not because look, these passing yards—they are inflated. They've become inflated with the rule changes, with the fact that the NFL completely changed from being a run-first type of um, run-first type of offense throughout the league to now pass-first. Like that's—that's that's just what we do. So a lot of these numbers have become inflated over time. Because, look, let's be real. I mean, we're going to see people like Matt Ryan, possibly Matthew Stafford, Pat Mahomes, Aaron Rod- like all these guys are going to inflate these numbers as we move forward in, in, in time, especially now when you can have quarterbacks like Tom Brady play until they're almost 50 years old. So, these numbers, the, like the, the statistics are always going to be fluid and always going to be changing. So, the reason why, and with only having one Super Bowl parent and one Super Bowl championship on his belt, and you've got a lot of other quarterbacks out there who have multiple Super Bowls and multiple MVPs and all that kind of stuff, and and possibly will as time moves on, the reason why Drew Brees should always be cemented in the top 10 is, again, because of how he changed the perspective of the league. Same thing with Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning is always going to be a top 10, in my money, a top three or four quarterback of all time, is because Peyton Manning completely changed the way the quarterback position was played. Like He completely revolutionized... The fact that the quarterback became a coach on the field, was calling out plays, changing plays at the line. Again, Peyton completely revolutionized the game, and Drew Brees did so in his own right. So that would be my argument for why Drew Brees should always be be considered a top 10 NFL quarterback ever. (laughs) So the second part about Drew Brees and the Humanitarian, it's going to be pretty short, but it's important to talk about how incredible this dude is off the field. You can't quantify, I don't think you can truly quantify, how much Drew Brees means to the city of New Orleans. Like, Drew Brees, if Drew Brees ran for mayor of New Orleans, he would win in a landslide. Like, Drew Brees is New Orleans. Like, he is a figurehead in that city. He's been extremely charitable and philanthropic throughout his time in the city, He's been an incredible ambassador for the league. He won the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award in 2006 for his incredible philo- philanthropic and charitable work by coming into, into New Orleans and doing everything he could after Hurricane Katrina. It's just what he has done is just, it's, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal how much he's uplifted that city and uplifted New Orleans, New Orleans not just um, not just the residents of the city, but the fan base of the Saints. Like he is a godlike figure in New Orleans, and he should be for everything that he's done for that city and for those people. He's an incredible family man. If you saw his, his retirement photo that he put out, he pretty much outlined the fact that the reason why he's retiring, while he loves what he does and he loves his teammates and he's thankful for everything that he's had, his four children are the most important thing in his life, and being a father means more to him than playing the game that he loves so much. And let's be really... You, there's really never been anybody who's ever said or found anything negative to say about Drew Brees. I mean, the guy—the guy really has been an, an incredible ambassador for the NFL. And frankly, the NFL could have done a lot worse than having somebody like Drew Brees as one of the faces of their franchise. I mean, excuse me, not franchise. Well, the Saints having him as the face of their franchise over the last 15 years, but the NFL having him as one of the faces of their league over the last 15 to 20 years. <laughs> I really don't know what the hell ESPN is thinking anymore. I don't I can't even pretend to figure out what the hell they're trying to do with that network. So, Pat McAfee, who's a former NFL pro, pro bowler, for those of you who don't know, he has a YouTube show. He also simulcasts his show on SiriusXM. He's a really funny dude. He has a sports show. And he has um, he's been on ESPN programming. He's usually on Get Up or at least he had been throughout the NFL season. Specifically during the NFL playoffs, he would come on. He would be on with, like, Orlovsky, Rex Ryan, and the like, Dominique Foxworth, whomever it may be, uh, just talking sports and stuff like that. And he, on his show, on his own show, he would also have people like Orlovsky, Damian Woody, whomever it may be, Rex Ryan even, come on his show as well. So they had, you know, they, everything seemed to be kosher between he and ESPN. Well, it was revealed on Friday that ESPN had banned its talent from appearing on his show. Pat McAfee brought it up on his show on Friday. He said, Hey, so I got some, I got some text messages from my friends who work at ESPN, some of the colleagues that have come on his show. He didn't name names, that just said, Hey, I can, I'm sorry, but I can only come on your show. According to, according to my network, I'm no longer allowed to appear on your show. So McAfee put it out in the airwaves on his show saying, Hey guys, you know, I've got some bad news. It looks like, as of right now, anyway. That there's t- that ESPN talent is no longer allowed to come on my shows. Well, his audience absolutely went nuts, and they went after ESPN. It was it was they went after him on social media. They went after him through YouTube, like you name it. All of the, his fan base was going after ESPN. Well, this got enough attention uh, that Richard Dice, who works for the Athletic got a statement from ESPN, and ESPN said this, and I quote, we didn't intend to ban ESPN guests from the show, and there's certainly no ban going forward. We are in the midst of figuring out the best process for future guests to appear on outside platforms, and Pat will continue to make regular appearances on ESPN shows, and I quote. Well, McAfee responded to that response on Monday, on his show on Monday, and he said, you certainly did intend to ban people from the show. I wasn't even going to talk about this, but this is just bullshit. This is just a bullshit start right here. He also had issue with the way the statement ended, and McAfee wasn't sure why ESPN is so sure he will continue to appear on the network. Um, he said this, and I quote, I don't know if that's accurate either. You start this thing with a falsehood, and you <laughs> and you end it with a falsehood, but in the middle there, I like that there's potential for progress. Good job, ESPN, end quote. I don't know who the hell is running the ship at ESPN, but you guys are just, at this point, you, you, you've turned that network, network into the Titanic. I mean, like, it's almost like you guys are looking for other icebergs to keep crashing into your ship so that it sinks faster. Like, Pat McAfee, good dude, pretty funny guy. You just lost somebody who people tune into ESPN for. Like, I'm somebody who doesn't regularly watch ESPN programming because I don't like regular ESPN programming. But I will tune it—I will turn it on on YouTube— to see clips if Pat McAfee is on talking about sports because I enjoy his takes on things. Don't always agree with him, but I enjoy it. Same thing with Dan Orlovsky. I would turn on Get Up, or I would, and this is always on YouTube. If I see a clip on YouTube of Dan Orlovsky on Get Up, I will turn into that clip to hear what Orlovsky has to say. Or the same thing on First Take. Back when Will Kane was there, I didn't watch First Take. I watched First Take when Will Kane was on the show because I was interested in what he had to say. Same thing with with NFL draft analysis. I don't watch it for Todd. I mean, I don't watch it for Mel Kuyper, but I will tune in if Todd McShay is on again by. And and so then what you have now done is you have taken off Pat McAfee off your off your airways. You have now also prevented your talent to go on Pat McAfee show, which, again, if people aren't really big fans of ESPN, they're tuning in to ESPN because Pat McAfee may bring on an, an analyst from ESPN that his fan base may actually tune into ESPN at a later date or at least pull up the clip on YouTube because they happen to like Dan Orlovsky or they happen to learn to like Damian Woody or they enjoy Rex Ryan. That's how those type of relationships work is that you learn, you you find different analysts or different takes that you like. I mean, that's how I have for me, I'm a big Joe Rogan fan, okay? I listen to Joe Rogan on a regular basis. He brings on interesting people. There, are, there have been people on Joe Rogan's podcast that I had never heard of prior to listening to Joe Rogan. And then I will seek those individuals out because I find them interesting. And then I will then listen to their podcasts. Or I will then read their articles or whatever it may be because I find their takes interesting. So what ESPN has now done is they have now just shut the door on all of Pat McAfee's fans from ever tuning into ESPN programming again. You have now isolated an audience base. How fucking stupid do you have to be to constantly shoot yourselves in the foot? I mean, they've already done it. They've banned people from going on former. These are all former ESPN employees, by the way. ESPN employees are not allowed to go on Colin Cowherd show, which is one of the highest rated shows on, on on radio and on YouTube. Dan Patrick's show, which, again, is one of the highest rated radio shows in the country. Dan Lebitard, which has one of the highest rated podcasts in the country. And Rich Eisen, along with they're also not allowed to go on Clay Travis's radio show, which is the highest rated morning radio show from 6 to 9 a.m. on Sirius XM. So you ban these people because you you don't like them or you had bad blood because they left your network. Whatever the reason may be, you banning your employees from going on those shows is actually hurting your product. It's not helping it. You're not proving a point. You're preventing those audiences that listen to Cowherd, that listen to Patrick, that listen to LeBertard Eisen, Clay Travis, whomever it may be, by banning By banning your talent from going on those shows, you're preventing their fan bases from potentially hearing something that they like or that they find interesting from your own talent that would possibly bring them to your network and then you would grow your fan base. We're now seeing what we've seen with podcasts and what we've seen with with radio audiences is that they're very tribal. Especially somebody like Dan Levitard. Dan Levitard's audience is extremely tribal. He also has a massive audience base. I'm not a big fan, but I respect what Dan has been able to create. The way ESPN fucked over Dan Levitard, they lost all of that audience. There is no chance in hell that the Dan Lebitard audience is ever going to tune into ESPN programming because they feel betrayed by how Dan Lebitard was treated. The same thing with Colin Cowherd. The same thing with Dan Patrick. You have these, these tribal listeners, which again is fine. It's it's sports talk, right? Like, I mean, look, th- th- if you want to be a tribe, uh, like I'm not, I'm not into tribal politics, okay? But I am in, uh, like, tribal sports talk is fine. I mean, sports talk is harmless. It really is, right? So... As far as tribal sports talk goes, I'm cool with that. Like, if you if you just you want to be in your own tribe, you only listen to Dan Levitard, you only listen to Patrick or Colin Cowherd, whatever it may be, like, that's cool. That's fine. But if you have other people on, you're going to gain a new audience base, right? So, like, for instance, Ryan Rossillo has Colin Cowherd on his show. People don't normally listen to Colin Cowherd. They listen to Ryan Rossillo. They hear Cowherd on, on Rossillo's podcast. All of a sudden, people are like, huh. Cowherd's actually not that bad. Maybe I'll start tuning into his stuff. Or maybe I used to listen to Cowherd. I found him annoying. No, I kind of like him. You know, I kind of like what he's saying. Maybe I'll tune in again. Or you have... I know this from personal experience. I'm a huge Will Kane fan. I have a couple friends that don't really like Will Kane all that much. Or they didn't like Will Kane. Then all of a sudden, Will Kane went on Ryan Rosillo's show or went on somebody else's podcast. Then I had people reaching out to me being like, you know what? Will Kane's actually not that bad. He actually seems like a really smart dude. Really good dude. The way he's portrayed or the way he's been portrayed in the media doesn't really seem accurate to who he really is as a person. Shit like that happens, again, by keeping your doors open and allowing other people from other networks to come in and out and and you, by you allowing your own um, your own analysts and, and talking heads to go to other networks, you're exposing people to different viewpoints, to, to, to somebody that they may actually kind of cling on to and then go to your network to see what else you have to offer. So pretty much every other... Network and podcasting hub seems to understand this. You know they've done they've done a cost benefit analysis. They realize, hey, look, you know, while the ringer may be my competition, having Ryan Rosillo or Bill Simmons come on my show or on my podcast, while I, you know, I'm I'm technically giving them pub by bringing them on my show, I'm also going to bring their audience base with them because they may be interested in listening to my podcast because they're such fans of Bill or Ryan, or whomever it may be. And then maybe they may, in turn, like me and my style of podcasting, and maybe I'll I'll gain a few of their audience members as well. ESPN, for whatever reason, has decided, nah, we're just going to close our doors. We're just going to completely shut ourselves off from the rest of the world because we're ESPN and we're top dog. Well, guess what? You're no longer top dog. So I wouldn't be surprised if the next two to three years, you see ABC Disney, they drop ESPN like a dead weight because that's all they are now they're just a dead weight. Who the hell on ESPN is worth listening to? Aside from Scott Van Pelt, Tony Kornheiser and Michael Wilbon, who the hell else do you turn into ESPN for? Yes, they cover the Masters. Yes, they have Monday Night Football. But outside of that, do you re- what's the point of listening to ESPN or watching ESPN? They have no value anymore. None whatsoever. I just I it baffles my it absolutely baffles my mind that ESPN has literally driven themselves into the ground like this. All right, ran over. Let's talk a little NFL free agency. All right, so let's touch on some NFL free agency here. We've had NFL free agency for a few days. I've got a couple notable player signings, and then I've got a couple teams that I think have done um, a really good job so far of, uh, of hitting free agency um, pretty solidly. So let's kick it off. Ryan Fitzpatrick, one year deal, ten million dollars with Washington. Brilliant move by by Washington. Absolutely brilliant. There are a number of teams that I know, I I actually know a few fan bases that were interested in getting Ryan Fitzpatrick. Washington getting Fitzpatrick immediately puts them in contention to make the playoffs. 100%. Absolutely puts them in contention to make the playoffs. The NFC East is a trash division. We don't know what Dallas is going to be. Dallas, it's going to be Dallas and Washington, in my opinion, unless either the Giants or the Eagles make some sort of massive move that we're unaware of in free agency and have the draft of their lives, it's just not... I mean, it's it's going to be Washington and the Cowboys division to lose. And frankly, I, I may think that Washington is the better team unless Dallas can do something to really fix up that defense. Jameis Winston, one-year deal, base salary of $5.5 can earn up to $12 million from incentives with the Saints. I mean, this is fine. I mean, look, I... I, I still don't buy into Jameis Winston, but this is a safe move for the Saints right now. The Saints are in rebuilding mode; uh, they just are. They they have way too many players that they're losing in free agency, um, and uh, you know with Drew Brees now retired, this is a smart move. It really is. They're they're not gonna get they're not gonna get a quarterback right now unless there's a move that's that's being made and, and they'll get Russell Wilson. But outside of that, you know they've got no reason to go crazy right now, and I, I think this is a safe and smart move. Aaron Jones, four-year deal, $48 million with the Packers. This is a solid team-friendly deal. The Packers fans should be pumped to keep the Pro Bowl running back for a few more seasons. I think it's a decent enough contract. Again, four years, $48 million. It's 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 fair. It's fine. Jones has been pretty good for the Packers. He's got a little injury history, but overall, I think it's a, it's a smart move. Okay, so here we go with the teams. I've got uh, four teams I want to touch on real quick, and then, uh, and then we'll close out the pod. So the Jets. Carl Lawson, edge rusher, three years, $45 million. Last season, he had five and a half sacks. He had 32 QB hits, which is second to TJ Watt. Pairing him with Robert uh, Sally in the Jets 4-3 scheme makes a ton of sense. This is a huge move by the Jets. This is going to help solidify that defense. The other thing they did was on the opposite side of the ball, they signed Corey Davis to a three-year, $37.5 million contract. The Jets desperately needed wide receiver help, and this is a solid signing for them. He had 65 catches, 984 yards, and 5 touchdowns through 14 games last season for the Tennessee Titans. Great pickup by the Jets. The Patriots are kicking the crap out of everybody in free agency. Like, Bill Belichick is just, I mean, he's going nuts. So we signed Jonu Smith, who's the tight end for the Titans last year, to a four-year, $50 million deal. And you got to start feeling for Ryan Tannehill here. He just lost two of his three leading receivers from last season, both losing in Corey Davis and Johnny Smith. Like, it sucks to be a, a, a uh, to be Ryan Tannehill this morning. It, it's got to be brutal. Uh, but again, Patriots, this is a huge signing for them. They also picked up two wide receivers. You've got Kendrick Bourne, three years worth, uh, three year contract worth twenty two and a half million dollars. He's a twenty six year old wide receiver. Last year he was on the Forty Nine ers. He had forty nine catches for six hundred and sixty seven yards. He's young. He had he there's a lot of talent there. I think the guy is going to be great. They also signed Nelson Aguilar, 2 years with a base value of 11 million per year. Last year he was with the Raiders on a 1-year deal. Look, he kind of flamed out a little bit in in Philly, but he completely revolutionized himself in in Las Vegas last year. He caught 48 balls for 896 yards. He averaged 18.7 yards per reception last year. Again, the Patriots desperately need receiving help, and getting Smith, Bourne, and Aguilar is a huge pickup for the Patriots. They also made a few defensive signings. Don't really care about that. Bill Belichick always has a good defense. That's not, to me, that's not the big deal. The big deal here is that the Patriots are fixing that offense in free agency, and they're doing it rather cheaply. Um, the Bucks signed Gronk to a one-year deal worth up to $10 million. It's an $8 million base salary with incentives up to $10 million. Awesome. I mean, it just makes sense both with the chemistry with him and Brady. Plus, from my money, Gronk is worth more as a blocker than he really is as a rece- as a reception tight end. And you saw that in the Super Bowl. So, Gronk, beautiful signing. But the big signing for the Bucks is the fact that they brought back Shaquille Barrett who's the edge rusher at a four-year, $68 million, with incentives pushing it to $72 million. This is massive for the Bucs. Last two years, 27.5 sacks, which is second in the league. And he's also had 53 QB hits, which ranks sixth in the league. Barrett is a monster. That is a huge, huge signing for the Bucs. Look, man, the Bucs are going to be good again next year. Just end of story. They've been able to pretty much bring the whole band back together. And obviously, they can. we'll see what they do in the draft. The Bucs are going to compete again next year for another Super Bowl. It it is what it is, guys. For all you Tom Brady haters, I'm sorry, but you're going to be dealing with that again next year. And then the Chargers. They signed Corey Lindsey, who's a center, for five years at $62.5 million. At $12.5 million per year, he's now the league's highest paid center. This was a huge signing for the Chargers and mostly for Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert finally has an all-pro center, which will be a huge help for the Chargers O-line and really just for Herbert. Like the, the Chargers desperately need a line, and we saw that Herbert also needs some weapons on offense. But you solidify that line, you protect your star quarterback. Chargers are going to be dangerous next year. They are. I'm I'm calling it now. I'm calling it early. Chargers are going to be dangerous, especially especially in this draft. I think they're going to make some some solid draft picks. The Chargers are definitely going to be contenders next year. It's going to be interesting to watch. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the LaVallee Sports Talk podcast brought to you by the Soundline Network. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and listening. I greatly appreciate it. Please be sure to check me out on iTunes. Subscribe, rate, and review. And while you're there, we have plenty of other podcasts for you, including Richo's Rant, Drinks with Dan, Spaceball, and Richo and Lala. Speaking of Richo and Lala, we are entering the Elite Eight of our March Madness bracket of hotness. Be sure to check out my page, Richo's page, whether it's Facebook or Twitter. Place your vote on who you believe should enter into the Final Four. We will release those results on our podcast on Monday. And that is it. That's all I have for you this week. I hope you all enjoy the first couple rounds of March Madness. Be well, stay safe, and I'll talk to you all again soon.